I'm Shelley Schlender. This is How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show. Coming up, we talk with Alfred Fidgestall, the author of Almost Human, the story of Julius, the chimpanzee caught between two worlds. The two small girls that were four years and two years when they were living uh, with Julius, they are now uh, over 40 years old, a grown-up adult woman, and still he recognizes them immediately. And then he wants to cuddle them and kiss them through the bars. And he's so obviously longing for them. <laughs> Although it's in a story of impossible love, of course, they can't be together. It's too dangerous. This happy tune comes from the country of Norway. Its words translate as, here comes Julius, who everyone wants to see. He swings in the top of the tree. This song is about one of the world's most famous chimpanzees, named Julius. For millions of people, the song brings to mind the time 40 years ago, when a Norwegian zookeeper's family took in Julius, after his chimpanzee mother had rejected him. The song gives no hint to the life and death drama, going on behind the scenes to get Julius re-socialized to other chimpanzees so that he could return to the zoo before he became so dangerous to humans he would be euthanized. All this and more is now in a new book titled Almost Human, the story of Julius, the chimpanzee caught between two worlds. We have a limited number of the book's thank you gifts to listeners who make a financial contribution to KGNU by calling 303-449-4885. Up next, we speak with the award-winning Norwegian biographer, Alfred Fidgestall, about Almost Human. Alfred Fidgestall, you have written many biographies about humans. What kind of humans have you written about? Norwegian artists, authors, and uh, painters, yes. You've written about many people in Norway who are famous, and you were curious about them. You've been awarded prizes for doing this, mm. and now you've written a book about a chimpanzee. <laughs> yes, I did. Who's famous too? <laughs> it was a crazy idea I got. I visited the zoo where this chimpanzee lives in Norway uh, seven years ago with my kids. He used to be very famous in Norway, so all, uh, all people at my age know about him because we saw him on television when we were kids. But my kids didn't know anything, so I had to tell them a little about his life. And when I told this, I suddenly heard, wow, (laughs) what a story this is. Wouldn't it be possible to write a biography about him, even though he's a chimpanzee? You write in your book, Almost Human, that one of the things that compelled you to write this story is looking in the chimpanzee Julius's eyes. Yes, it's a very fascinating animal. They are so human-like, and still they are different. They somewhat remind me of looking through a mask meeting Santa Claus or something, and you see the eyes and you know it's just daddy, and still it isn't daddy. So you've got, you got this feeling, uh, there's someone there behind these eyes. I have to, uh, I want to know him. And you did not say there is some creature there. You said there's someone, as though you feel that there is a, not quite a person, but equivalent to a person. Yes, equivalent to a person. I think that's precise. Later, I read a lot of literature about chimpanzees, and many uh, chimpanzee researchers, they describe just the same feeling, that uh, it's something uh, fascinating, which is difficult to put words on uh, in looking into these eyes. 
And uh, at the Franz de Waal, one of the famous uh, Dutch fancy researchers, he says just the same thing. It's someone there. Someone there. Yes. Mm. Now, you knew about Julius the chimpanzee, the most famous chimpanzee ever in Norway and maybe in Europe, when you were a child. Mm. How old is Julius now? He's 40. Actually, he celebrated his 40th birthday yesterday, <laughs> although his actual birthday is uh, in Christmas. But they had a big party for him yesterday in the zoo. What do you remember about Julius the chimpanzee when you were a kid? Well, we saw him at the children's television, and that was because his mother, his chimpanzee mother, she rejected him, so he couldn't stay in the zoo. And a human family had to take him out, and he lived for two years in a human family. This was filmed and it was shown on television. And of course, it was fascinating as a child to see a chimpanzee living among other kids, playing with them. And just like a normal kid, uh, there were three kids in the family, included, including Julius, and they were, they were just playing together. So it was uh, very fascinating to watch. So as a child, you would watch these TV programs about Julius just living with this family where he was, what, a year old, two years old? Yes. And he was like a... He was like a one-year-old or a two-year-old kid. Yes, it looked like that. Uh, and, and the parents uh, treated the three kids very uh, in a similar way. They, they brushed the teeth of all the three and they all took a bath that evening and they, uh, and they changed the diapers and they put them to bed at uh, seven o'clock. <laughs> so uh, uh, at least the kids in his family, they uh, reckoned him a little brother. It was difficult for them to think of him as something else than a brother. But the parents included the director of the zoo, meaning the the, peop the humans who brought Julius in, included the director of the zoo. And did the zoo director think of Julius as just another member of his family? Uh, well, he would say no, he didn't. Uh, and the plan was always to reintroduce him to the chimpanzee community. They just had to wait for a year or two. But how easy is it to reckon him just an animal when you are carrying him around in your arms, you're feeding him with a bottle and you're treating him just the way you one or two years earlier treated your own daughters. So although he, uh, he knew that it was an animal and he should be replaced, uh, emotionally it's, very, uh, it's a very difficult process for him. But why didn't the family just keep him and let him be part of their family? Because they knew that that wouldn't be possible. Uh, because um, chimpanzees, they are not uh, among the animals that we humans have domesticated. Later in life, when a chimpanzee gets stronger and reaches puberty uh, after five, five, six, seven years, then it would be dangerous to have a chimpanzee in the home. You describe some of those danger signals in really shocking detail about other families who have tried to raise a chimpanzee and ended up with terrible injuries or a terrible situation. Is there any person in the United States or in the world or anywhere who has ever successfully had a chimpanzee stay part of their family? Possibly you might find one or two examples of someone who may have managed it. Uh, but the, the normal option is that uh, it ends in disaster. Because when the chimpanzee is eight, nine, ten years old, it's a dangerous animal to have in your house, and it's not possible to reintroduce them to any chimpanzee community because they are too different and too human-like. So uh, the normal uh, the normal conclusion in these kind of stories is a tragedy. And when you say a tragedy, 
You mean either somebody gets very badly injured in the family of the chimpanzee, or they euthanize, they kill the chimpanzee. Yes. Mm. That's the two options. And... Yeah. Mm. So that's really what Julius faced as his options. This family that took him in didn't figure out a way to get him back to the zoo. Yes. It would be difficult to bring him back to the zoo. And, uh, of course, the adults knew all the way that that might be... Uh, the end of the story, if they didn't uh, succeed in bringing him back. Wow. So this is both a story about how the chimpanzee Julius got huge fame by living with a family, and the kids viewed Julius as their little brother. Yes. And about the adults all of the time having to think, gosh, we're, we're just having him here to help him during this time where his mother rejected him. Mm. And... Our goal, for his sake and our sake, we've got to get him back yeah. to the place where he's comfortable being with the other chimpanzees at the zoo. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And, and then the fame becomes part of the problem because uh, he gets so popular. And, and for some years, it's still possible after he's reintroduced to the chimpanzee community, it's still possible to take him out and let kids in the zoo meet him. Uh, and of course, this uh, for a commercial institution like a zoo, this is very, uh, very good commercial. A lot of people are coming to the zoo just to meet him. But for Julius, that was not good. Probably just confused him even more. Yes, you, you talk a great deal about some things that I had no idea about, such as that an alpha chimpanzee will reprimand another adult in their community by taking their finger, the finger of the one to be reprimanded, putting it in his mouth and biting it off. Yes. This was the clue that Julius had been rejected. He was missing a finger when he was a little tiny baby. But the alpha chimps did this once to one of the zookeepers, too. That's obviously a way they punish each other. When chimpanzees are together in the community, they are dependent on each other. So if they uh, are fighting, they should not hurt each other too hard because then it would be difficult to protect the group against other groups. Uh, so if the two chimpanzees have a severe fight, it would be a natural thing to just bite off one finger, <laughs> which is a very brutal thing, of course, and uh, it's not a good experience, but it's not uh, too dangerous. The chimpanzee would still be possible to take part in defending the group later. And then what you're saying here is that while that seems brutal for human population to think about, except in some countries where they do those things. Mm. In the chimpanzee culture, this is appropriate for an alpha male to assert his dominance by giving this kind of unforgettable punishment, which does not prevent that member to keep contributing to the community. Yes, exactly. Well, the, the other part of that is that this is such a revelation in how much complexity there is in a chimpanzee community. I, as somebody who had never thought about chimpanzees to the level that you have studied them for this book, had just assumed that if you want to have a chimpanzee go back into the zoo after being with a family for a couple of years, you just put them back in the zoo. <laughs> you know, surely being a chimpanzee is simpler than being a human. So if a chimpanzee learned to be a human, yes. surely it could just hop right into being a chimpanzee in a chimpanzee community. Mm. Very fascinating. They are socially, are they so complex? Matter of fact, it took almost 25 years before Julius was really reintegrated in the group. <laughs> now he, he's there as a leader and he's, uh, everything is okay. 
But for 25 years, he definitely uh, were marked by living by humans for these two years, two first years in his life. And yet they thought so carefully about how to integrate him. The director of the zoo and the other people involved found chimpanzees that they thought would be friendly and wouldn't be aggressive with him, where Julius would be rejected, where he would almost be killed by the other chimpanzees. They didn't have much experience in keeping chimpanzees. They had just started with chimpanzees a few years before Julius was born, and they didn't know enough. Uh, so they tried to learn from other zoos. They were visiting zoos in Europe, in Switzerland and in the Netherlands, and they tried to ask what to do. Um, but uh, this was a process of learning for the zoo. And they know a lot more about keeping chimpanzees today than they did when Julius was born. I'm Shelley Schlender. This is How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show. This music is one version of a popular song written over 30 years ago in Norway. The song depicts the carefree life of a cute little baby chimpanzee named Julius. Songs like these raised a lot of money for the Norwegian Zoo, where Julius was the top attraction. Julius was famous because the zoo director's family had taken Julius into their home after his chimpanzee mother rejected him. In the first two years of Julius's life, he was like the family's baby brother. While songs like this did help raise money for the zoo, these songs also hid the life and death struggles to help Julius get back to the zoo and socialize to other chimpanzees before he became too dangerous to be with humans. Let's go back now to Alfred Fidgestel talking about what happened next for Julius, the chimpanzee caught between two worlds. Now, when you researched this book and you put it together, you found information that had never been made public about some of the scary situations that yes. happened when Julius was being reintroduced to the zoo. What, for you, were some of the scariest situations that happened with him? The leader chimpanzee obviously hated Julius, and they were fighting daily. Julius's solution to this problem was to escape. How do you escape from a zoo, though? I mean, how do you escape from a zoo that's made to keep you in. They still don't know how he escaped. And he was the only chimpanzee who, who ever made it from this zoo. In your book, Almost Human, you talk about how one day Julius was just sitting there for a long time, looking around and processing, just like somebody, a great scientist, will just sit and process for a while. And all of a sudden, the Eureka light bulb goes on above their head. Well, your description is the same thing happened with Julius when he figured out how to escape from the roof, yes. from the ceiling of the enclosure he was in. <gasps> he thought the same way that you or I would think. The one escape that was observed, and that was when he climbed uh, along the roof. And just as you say, he obviously was thinking how to escape. And he was looking at the roof and thinking and thinking, and suddenly he saw a route, a possible way out, and found it and managed to get out. So, but the other escapes, they were all from the chimp island when he was outside. And then he had to pass this water moat around the island. And chimpanzees can't swim, and they know that they can't swim, so they're afraid of water. But he still uh, somehow got over this moat out in the park. Well, what's wrong with being out in the park among the people and the other animals? <laughs> well, uh, he was too big. And the last escape, then he was 12 years old. And a 12-year-old male chimpanzee is uh, six times stronger than a human male. Uh, and he uh, escaped the last time because he wanted to take the garbage collector in the park. Can you tell the story of why he wanted to go after the garbage collector? 
Yeah, we don't know exactly why, but uh, probably because um, the garbage collector was collecting garbage just outside his sleeping apartment every afternoon at seven o'clock. And uh, this garbage collecting, uh, it makes a lot of rattle, and this rattle has somehow annoyed Julius. You also mentioned that the garbage collector would kind of jeer at Julius, shake his fist. Yes, yes, because Julius was uh, in a cage, so it was not dangerous. The garbage collector thought. Julius got to see the garbage collector making all this racket and also shaking his fist and doing other things to show that he was kind of taunting Julius. And, and then one day. One day in the summer of 1992, uh, Julius had planned a revenge. <laughs> and then uh, Julius uh, had a, obviously a concept of time. Uh, he knew that the garbage collector arrived at 7 o'clock every afternoon. So just before 7, he snuck out from this chimpanzee island very discreetly. And no one saw it. And then he hid in the forest behind a souvenir shop waiting for the garbage collector. And when the car came, Julius leaped out. And, uh, and then the driver tried to drive off, uh, but he couldn't drive fast enough inside a zoo where there still were kids and families. Uh, and his window was open. Uh, and Julius ran alongside the car and jumped in through the window. And then he, he ended up on the driver's lap and bit his hand, uh, leaving a large scar from the finger into the palm of his hand. So he bit the finger of the garbage collector. Yeah, or the, or the whole hand, actually. So the driver had to go for hospital for two weeks, and uh, he got a huge scar in his hand. And still today, this is 27 years ago, still today this driver hasn't gained fully control over this uh, left hand. So it was a se very serious incident. Very serious incident that also showed that chimpanzees have feelings, they can hold a grudge, they can plan revenge. Yes. This garbage collector was really lucky that he was not killed, you think? Uh, well, that's that's a difficult question. Uh, if he was lucky or if uh, Julius uh, felt that this punishment was just enough. Because it's, it's, it's such a similar situation uh, to the things you mentioned with biting of fingers. So, so maybe this was just what the Julius had in mind. But, uh, of course, the, the driver felt it like a life-threatening incident and was so scared as possible. But when it happened, nothing came out in the media, although Julius was still very famous and lots of people had to know about this. People didn't know about the fact that he had actually attacked somebody one time. Instead, they knew about the fact that he was still pretty adorable, that the zoo was trying to match him up with some mates and see if they he would become a father. They knew about this kind of side of him. And they didn't know as much about the other escapes of Julius. And while this one that you wrote about the garbage collector was scary, there were also some very poignant escapes where obviously he was dangerous, but obviously, too, he was looking for the people he grew up with. Yes. Hmm. So uh, that's the heartbreaking part of it, uh, that he's, uh, although he's dangerous, of course, and he has changed a lot since he was little and cute, he's still, he's still obviously longing for the people he used to live with. And he still loves them. And when they visit him today, uh, for instance, the kids, the, the two small girls that were four years and two years when they were living uh, with Julius, they are now uh, over 40 years old, grown-up adult women. 
women. And still he recognizes them immediately when they are coming to the park. Uh, and he wants to be as close as possible with them. And they can go backstage with the caretakers and visiting with the bars in, within one of the cages. And then he wants to cuddle them and kiss them through the bars and give them massage. And he's so, he's so obviously longing for them and still he still loves them. And, uh, and it's, uh, although it's in a story of impossible love, of course, they can't be together. It's too dangerous. So it's a, it's a very heartbreaking thing to watch. Has he ever hurt the people he grew up with? No, never. And, and they say to me that they would not be afraid uh, of getting into his cage. They think that would be completely safe, and maybe they are right, but uh, they are not allowed. No one uh, wants to take that risk. I think about Jane Goodall, who spent her life's work living with chimpanzees in the wild, and she was never harmed. She was a genius, a very talented woman who knew exactly how she should approach the wild chimpanzees. And that they must have accepted her as some kind of a white chimpanzee, I guess. Maybe that's the issue with even the people Julius grew up with, that even though he loves them, there's always the risk that they might do something that in chimpanzees' culture is so outrageous he would need to reprimand them or feel like he needs to reprimand them. Yes, possibly, yes. And maybe Jane Goodall uh, was a bit lucky too, because she didn't know too much when she started up this uh, project, but she obviously had some gifts. Now, your book, Alfred, is a lot about this personal dramatic story of this chimpanzee trying to get back to being a chimp and longing to be a human or with his human people. And at the same time, it's also a story about some of the issues with chimpanzees in the world overall? Yes, it's difficult to uh, hold those things apart <laughs> because so many things have happened uh, with uh, the chimpanzees uh, during Julius's life, not just the way we uh, look upon them uh, in zoos and uh, how we treat them and think that we should treat them, but of course what has happened with wild chimpanzees. When Julius was born there was uh, probably one million wild chimpanzees in the world. And today, 40 years later, there might be as few as 200,000. So if Julius still lives for uh, some decades, as he might do, and if this uh, development uh, continues, he might live longer than the last wild chimpanzee, which is a quite uh, dramatic uh, perspective. What do you see as ways that people can change that? Is there any way to change that? The most important uh, solutions to this problem are political, like stopping the deforestation in Central Africa and the human hunt of chimpanzees, which still takes place, and, uh, and to avoid the worst consequences of climate change and things like that. There's also uh, things we might do as individuals, like support one of the many organizations that are trying to save the wild chimpanzees, like Jane Goodall's organization, and donate money. And maybe modern zoos may uh, take a part in this process too, to open our eyes to the problem. Not only open our eyes to the problem, but you describe also in your book the evolution of the quote-unquote zoo where Julius lives, where they really did improve the habitat and the way that the chimpanzees live, so that it's a much more, should we say, humane way to treat 
chimpanzees. That's an ironic word in this context. But yes, obviously, a lot has happened. When we started with zoos in the 18th century, the point was to humiliate the animals and show that we were stronger than them. And we managed to put dangerous animals in cages. We are the strongest animal on the earth. And now, of course, any modern zoo uh, would think just uh, that the project is just the opposite. Uh, we have to respect them and admire them and learn from them and give them as good lives as possible in a zoo. Yes, and Julius is now a dad. Yes. And from your account, he's a pretty good leader, too. He's a fair leader. He's a strong leader. Yeah, he's, he's a surprisingly good leader. When he was made a leader at 26 years old, the caretakers were uncertain if he could manage to be a leader in the chimpanzee community with this strange life that he had lived. But he's a surprisingly good leader. And he, uh, the most important job for a leader is to avoid conflicts, serious conflicts in the community. And he manages that very well. So he's still a, he's an uncontested and respected leader of this community. And you mentioned that he was good with the baby chimpanzees when they were around, when they were growing up. From a human perspective, he was good. <laughs> Maybe he was a little too good. <laughs> Normally, a chimpanzee father would be a bit uh, harsher with them and uh, not accept as much uh, as uh, he did. But he was a quite calm father. He let them, let them have a good time. How has writing this book changed you? You talk about this with a sense of yearning yourself that there's still something about the connection with Julius. There's something there that you want that uh, is not reachable, but you still want it. It has changed me. I've never been living close with animals myself, and I've never never been thinking much about these things before I got this idea of writing a book about just Julius. But... uh, somewhat confusing to my old concepts and uh, the clear difference between humans and animals. And uh, uh, I've not reached any um, conclusions that I easily can put in words, but uh, it has made me think a lot about uh, differences and similarities between humans and animals, especially animals like chimpanzees, which are our closest relatives in nature. We've been speaking with the award-winning biographer Alfred Fidgestall about his new book, Almost Human, the story of Julius, the chimpanzee caught between two worlds. We have a limited number of these books available as thank you gifts to listeners who make a financial contribution to KGNU. You can do that by calling 303-449-4885 or pledge securely online at kgnu.org. That's all for this edition of How on Earth. Our executive producer is Joel Parker. This week's show was produced and engineered by yours truly, Shelley Schlender. Our theme music was written and produced by Josh Cutler. Additional music from Norway. The song, Herr Komer Julius, which stands for Here Comes Julius. Visit our website at howonearthradio.org to find past episodes, extended interviews, and you can subscribe to our podcast through iTunes and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Questions or comments? Call the KGNU comment line at 303-447-9911. For How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show, I'm Shelley Schlender.